0: Welcome to the Why on Earth Community's Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. Today we are visiting with Dehun Giosta, also known as Meadow Cook. Hey Meadow, how are you doing?
1: I'm good.
0: It's good to be with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, you too.
0: <laughs> and I'm so excited to dive into this conversation about all of this leadership work that you're doing as a, a youth ambassador, as a, a, youth, a youth advisory board member on a handful of different organizations. Um, and can't wait to talk with you about the project that you're doing right here on these lands where we're currently sitting. And uh, before we dive in, let me share with the audience a little bit about you and your background. So dehunjiosa Meadow Cook is a 16-year-old indigenous activist from the Akwesasne Mohawk Territory. She is Bear Clan and an environmentalist within her community. She has been actively involved with the Idle No More movement and is currently involved in the fight against the Enbridge pipeline. Meadow is an indigenous representative for Earth Uprising, is president of the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project Youth Advisory Board, and is an an ambassador of the Why on Earth community. She hopes to expand her reach beyond the reserve and act for a voice for the Ganyakihaga, the Mohawk people. So Meadow, um, this is a lot. You've got a lot going on and I'm I'm, I'm so impressed that uh, you're doing so much at the age of 16. And uh, there's, there's a lot we're going to be able to share with the audience here. So to dive in, will you share uh, where are we right now and why, why is that important?
1: <laughs> so right now we're in the Schoharie Valley. Um, it's actually the ancestral lands of the Mohawk people. And we just moved back here, me and my mom. Um, and we're working with the Three Sisters Project to help reclaim this land back
0: <laughs> and so, how does it how does it feel for you having m- recently moved here to to this land versus where you've grown up?
1: It feels um, it's like it's like a connection that I've never really felt at home on a reservation, and um, to be here, surrounded by the nature, and in a place that isn't toxic and killing our people, is a really um, different feeling. Like, even just going home, um, <laughs> we uh, we get like these headaches, and we get sick for a couple of days. The first few days that we're back, every time we return, and as soon as we come back here, we we're better, and it takes a couple of days to adjust. Um, and that just shows how toxic it is at home.
0: Yeah. You know, and I, I imagine a lot of our audience doesn't know where Akwesasne is in terms of the geography of it all. Could you just kind of describe what, where it is and then why we're talking about this uh, environmental pollution?
1: Yeah, so I'm from upstate New York. The, it straddles the border of um, Canada and New York. So part of our reservation is in Ontario and part is um, in the like Messina area. It's a small town. It's like the way northern Adirondacks, basically.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, we actually live on a super fun site. And there's two main um, uh, factories that were shut down. But they were never really taken care of properly. So now all of our people are getting sick and basically dying off in a new way, in a new genocide because of this.
0: And this is something obviously that you've got lots of your friends and family dealing with uh, directly. And, and we know through many of our other ambassadors and friends and allies at the Why on Earth community, this kind of environmental justice issue is one that we're seeing in a lot of different places around the United States, around North America, and even globally. And uh, it's it's really important, I think, that that we all have a much higher level of awareness about what's going on here and that we have these manufacturing facilities often discharging and emitting horrible carcinogens, heavy metals into the environment, often around places like reservations and other uh, disempowered or low-income communities that might be found around major cities, etc. So what's, what's happening from your perspective as a youth leader to help deal with that challenging situation.
1: Um. So, at home, it's really hard to go back because uh, all of the youth there, <coughs> and even myself, for the majority of my life, we felt this sense of hopelessness and like this is just what happens to us. And um, even just doing research, if you look at the um, number one, like the top ten uh, super fun st- uh, sites in New York, um, like half of them are all reservations and they're mm-hmm. all within the Haudenosaunee community, <coughs> so it's really hard. Um, even other reservations near us going visit, you see the um, all the pollution that it's caused, all the disease that it's caused us. and. No one's really, no one really even knows at home, even. That's how, um, like, kind of covered up and hidden it was. Yeah. When they were um, in operation.
0: <laughs> and, and these are often manufacturing facilities from companies we would all be familiar with, right? Like, I think, is it General Motors? Yeah, that has General
1: Motors and Alcoa. And Alcoa,
0: yeah, major aluminum manufacturer, among other things, right? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, so many of us are using the products coming from these companies and it's imperative we connect the dots in terms of our consumer demand and really demanding that uh, we uh, see these companies taking responsibility for things they've already done and uh, stop that kind of behavior going forward, right?
1: Yeah. Um. The worst is the people who have worked in the plants. Yeah. and So they not only lost their jobs when they shut down, they're losing their lives because of the disease and everything that's spread to them working in those factories in close proximity to all these chemicals and toxins.
0: Yeah, that's really intense. Well, I am, I am so struck that notwithstanding these incredible challenges, you have grown up with such a strong sense of, of self and as such a strong leader, right? You're, you've been class president uh, more than one year. Yeah. And um, maybe uh, tell us a little bit about that. Like, what, what's what's that like in terms of being a leader and, and your role as class president? Like, how how does that feel to you?
1: Well, it was really different being that kind of leader in a school where it was the majority Native students but none of them were interested in um, leading, and that always really confused me because I always knew I wanted to do something to help the people and even like my classmates, even just get better conditions in school. And um, it was really, I knew it was what I wanted to do as soon as they, the option was available. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I started in um, fifth grade and I've, I was president uh, four years straight, co-president one year and um, then I was the student rep uh, the fifth year. <coughs> and I've tried, um, the majority of the student council was always non-native, mm. but the majority of the school is Native. <laughs> like
0: what, eighty, yeah, eighty-five percent or something? eighty-five
1: percent. I mean, that's remarkable. And, um, so I would always feel like I was presenting these ideas and the non-native students would just brush it off, kind of. Hmm. So it's hard to, um, almost, like, the way that they are at home, it's hard to work with them and get them to recognize the things that our people are going through, even though they live in such close proximity. They don't understand. Mm. <laughs> so if I tried my best, but um, it's hard to work with our school board, pretty much. <laughs>
0: yeah, big challenge. Well, and now that you've moved to, to Central New York, obviously there, there's a whole new opportunity in the way that you're leading with your peers back in Aquasossi. And I know just uh, the last couple nights uh, we we've been here. Um, at a a gathering for several days and it's been so fun observing you communicating with your friends back in Akwesasani telling them about what's going on here and and the the level of excitement is palpable. Um, It's amazing right? So what what are some of your friends thinking about in terms of what's happening at Three Sisters Sovereignty Project and how they might get involved?
1: So (coughs) um, uh, more than half of the people that I've had um, I put together a youth board so more than half of them are fluent in the language and they're gonna bring that aspect because a lot of the older people and even like a, a bigger majority of the younger people have lost our language so I it was really important to make sure that we could have that aspect in this mm. and um, so I have multiple language speakers on the board, and I have multiple, um, like, traditional artists. Uh, We have basket weavers, um, painters, sketch artists, um, and beaters a big part. So I wanted every aspect of our culture to be able to um, include the youth and really bring connect that with the older women working with the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project.
0: That's so exciting. Are they excited to get down yeah. here?
1: Yeah. Um, I feel like I've given them a sense of hope that they didn't know that they had, that they could have, or like an option that they didn't think was available. And a lot of them were so excited and felt like they had a purpose mm. for the first time. <clears throat> So they, um, they're really, all of them were on board instantly. And their parents are also super supportive because they know how important this work is and how important the revival of our culture is after um, not being able to, like the older generation, not being able to even participate in their own culture up until, yeah. what was it, the 70s? Yeah. So it's a lot of, um, we're working to... Heal that intergenerational trauma.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely admirable, and uh, the the courage and the power that you're demonstrating just naturally is is really beautiful. I um, I commend you for that, and I'm so happy we have the opportunity to share that a bit with our audience. It's tremendous, and I you know I I know that some of our audience is familiar with some of the the brutality and the oppression and what's happened as the the European uh, forces have colonized around the world including right here and I, what I don't think everybody necessarily has a direct experience of or direct knowledge of is the the stories of what happens when we're little kids and we're not allowed to speak our native language and there are people teaching us not related <coughs> to us who are using brutal methods to basically indoctrinate or enculturate us into mainstream you know white English culture Right, and this is part of what you're talking about—healing that intergenerational wounding that's that's been there for many generations now.
1: Yeah, so all there's like, um, in my in my own family alone, there's like at least five generations of trauma, and um, even my own mother wasn't allowed to speak her language. So it's really important to be doing that work and bringing it back and um, I think with this project even including more youth is just gonna further the healing and connect all of them Yeah.
0: and of course your mother is one of the three women leading the three sisters sovereignty project right yep so this is this is just a tremendous story And it's one I hope many of our Why on Earth network will get involved in and engaged in and support. Um, And I'll just throw out that you can check out information on Three Sisters by going to threesistersproject.org. And uh, there is a GoFundMe um, underway to help support the uh, efforts in the coming year of putting in gardens, of putting in an educational longhouse, of getting some uh, sustainable micro-enterprises launched and underway so three sisters is a great place to plug in and to um, support what's happening here with meadow and and her mother tiffany and and the other women and men who are um, helping to make this happen so uh yeah definitely excited for folks to have an opportunity to see that and to become a part of that um and of course i some folks know that uh, my great grandmother was Mohawk and that uh that you know I'm I'm one of the people out there who's got that as part of my heritage but was totally obviously cut off culturally and for me I get excited thinking I have an opportunity to learn the language a little bit um, and it's not easy it's a beautiful <laughs> language I love hearing it and it's not an easy one for me to learn but Dehungiosta your name has a beautiful beautiful meaning can you can you share with the audience what it means and, and what it means to you as you're moving here and doing this work here.
1: So my name means she makes the land beautiful. And I was named by my grandmother. Um, it's really uh, kind of astonishing to see how it's manifested and how it's really become my true name. And I just um, feeling the connection to the land here has only furthered that. Um,
0: <laughs> and, and you with, with your mother and, and several other women had an amazing uh, ceremony a few days ago, a moon lodge ceremony, and I understand that was for you the first lodge ceremony you've had back here on the ancestral homelands, is that is that right?
1: Yeah, so our first um, our moon ceremony was for all the women, and it was mainly to connect us back to this land because we've been gone for so long and because we were pushed to our reservations and we haven't been here. And we all really felt that connection while we were in there doing the ceremony.
0: Mm -hmm. That's absolutely beautiful. Well, I think another aspect of what's happening that's really important for all of our audience and really all of our society to understand more broadly is that coming out of the, the Mohawk tradition is a very powerful, important, special way of relating to each other and relating to the world, the earth, and it's the great law. And I, I know that Ben Franklin spent a lot of time among the Mohawk people and that was a big part of some of the most virtuous aspects of what got framed into the Constitution and and I'm just wondering, share with us the Great Law and how does that play out in you know, what you're doing here.
1: So <coughs> It's really hard for us to even follow the great law at home because the pollution has um, like poisoned our minds and Mm. all you can ever be is negative. Mm. And one of the main things we need to have is and that's a good mind. So coming here has really helped us reconnect with those teachings and really um, continue to use it and show our youth how to use it because everyone is just disconnected, mainly, yeah. <laughs> at home.
0: And I know the Great Law has three main tenets, right? We you share what those are?
1: Uh, peace, um, it's a good mind, and love. <laughs>
0: We've got mom off camera. Yeah. Here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's been a while since yeah. I've studied that.
0: Yeah.
1: So we learn, um we basically learned that when we're little children. And a lot of, because there's no reservation schools other than the Freedom School. Yeah. And that's in one of the most polluted places. Oh my gosh. Our only option is to go to the um, white school. I mean, it's mm-hmm. still the majority of us have to go there. So it, now it's eighty-five percent. But mm-hmm. so once we, after we're children, if we're not able to go to longhouse because we can't miss school or the the school gives us a hard time for ceremonies. Yeah. Um. So after we've all like forgotten basically, and it's really hard to relearn things that you knew since you were a baby. Yeah. And that's yeah. mainly what we're all doing. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's so beautiful to see you and just earlier today uh you were you were doing a bit of this uh nearby, right there's an Iroquois Indian museum nearby um, near Howes Cave in uh, central New York, and uh you were over there teaching how many kids were over there
1: uh there was seventy. Yeah. About 70.
0: And so we were, we were visiting uh, yesterday. The, the, some of the artifacts are just beautiful to look at, right? And just amazing to be surrounded by all of that. Um, what were you teaching the kids today? What was going on?
1: Um, so I was telling this big group about the story of the Cornhusk doll, the No Face doll. Yeah. And I, and then we helped them to all make them. And it was so crazy to see all these non-native kids be so accepting. And they were all, like, they were all amazed that I was there because a lot of people think that the Mohawks have died out. Right. And even just all Native Americans, they think they were all, like, I thought they all died, and it was kind of crazy to see that. And I was speaking to them in the language, and they were all, like, so excited and thrilled to be there so it was a really good experience
0: (laughs) that's absolutely beautiful that's so beautiful yeah and it sounds like there will be opportunities for a lot more events and gatherings at that museum it's a beautiful building right and yeah so
1: they want me to volunteer there now so i i'm gonna be there often me and my mom and they want me to do some of the stories and like tell tell them to groups of kids for school so they can learn and know that we're still here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And how?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, let's talk a little about sports for for a minute. You also are a lacrosse player, huh? Yeah. Tell, tell retired us, lacrosse Retired player. lacrosse <laughs> player, yeah. So tell us um lacrosse <coughs> has a very special place in the the Mohawk culture. Um what's why is that special? What's that all about, and what changed recently with the clan mothers around us?
1: Um, so, it's originally a medicine game. It was played by the men, and we used wooden sticks, and it was it was made, like, so, like, we don't even have record because it's all oral storytelling, and, um, so, the, I grew up, um, it wasn't, my mom never wanted me to play because the women aren't supposed to play, we in our culture, we're too powerful, and we're too um, yeah, like we we have too much power over it, so we can't use it as the medicine. So, um, <clears throat> my father was the one who got me into playing when I was in third grade, and even then, it was a really controversial thing in our community, and a lot of um, people from the Longhouse and the Clan Mothers and the leaders didn't support it so in the last couple years we've gotten um, the bear clan mother Louise Hearn uh, we got her on board with that and we actually have a documentary about the whole process uh, it's called Keepers of the Game it's on Netflix
0: <laughs> yeah I, uh, I watched it not well I guess one or two years ago and it <laughs> yeah. was awesome awesome story Keepers of the Game um, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes too uh, I'll try to link it for everybody so that it's easy to check that out. <clears throat> so uh, do you think you'll end up teaching some others to play some lacrosse down the road?
1: Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, we have, uh, I ha- uh, on my youth board for Three Sisters Sovereignty Project, um, we have a lot of lacrosse players. And they um, they know how to do the traditional wooden sticks. And how to do everything involved with that. So um, usually we split. So the 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 young men teach the young men, and the young women t- teach the young women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because it it is different because um, we use it more. The wi- the women use it more as a sport now, and, mm-hmm. and it's not really the medicine aspect, mm-hmm. but the young men still use that. <coughs> So they um there's more of a spiritual aspect to that too, and a lot of like probably the majority of young men on the reservation play and they've played their whole lives
0: mm. cool i'm I'm wondering too if we might share a little about uh the ego feather and uh I know there's something very special hanging behind <laughs> us here. Yeah. Uh, this is something from a man who's done a lot to reestablish the presence of the Mohawk people in this region as well right yeah and uh, could you tell us a little about about him and, and what what this is and we'll we can read it maybe for the audience right
1: yeah um, so Tom Porter he w- he's kind of a celebrity back home <laughs> mm. um, he's really done a lot of work for us and our community and really helped to establish another community almost like our three sisters' sovereignty project mm-hmm. so he was kind of the, um, paved the way for us to even be here and be started and um, he's done a lot of work, a lot of speeches, a lot of talk, telling our stories and getting the message out there There's a lot on YouTube <laughs> we used to watch it for our classes even in school like that's how important it was to us to get that.
0: <laughs> That's so beautiful. Cool. Well, you know what I'm going to do, a little fun thing for our audience. I'm actually going to grab the camera and just kind of come in a little closer as you're reading it, just so we keep the sound as good as we can, and maybe folks will be able to see <laughs> what's going on. So this is poster you just got at the museum, right?
1: Yeah. Actually, my um, my aunt does this the artwork for this. So this is the story of the eagle feather. <laughs> When the world was new, the Creator made all the birds. He colored their feathers like a bouquet of flowers. The Creator then gave each a distinct song to sing. The Creator instructed the birds to greet each new day with a chorus of their songs. Of all the birds, our Creator chose the eagle to be the leader. The eagle flies the highest and sees the furthest of all creatures. The eagle is a messenger to the Creator. During the four sacred rituals, we will wear an eagle feather in our hair. To wear or to hold the eagle feather causes our Creator to take immediate notice. With the eagle feather, the Creator is honored in the highest. When one receives an eagle feather, that person is being acknowledged with gratitude, with love, and with ultimate respect. The feather must have sacred tobacco burnt for it. In this way, the eagle and the Creator are notified of the name of the new eagle feather holder. The holder of the eagle feather must ensure that anything that changes the natural state of one's mind, like alcohol or drugs, it must never come in contact with the sacred eagle feather. The keeper of the feather will make a little home where the feather will be kept. The eagle feather must be fed. You you feed the eagle feather by holding or wearing the feather at sacred ceremonies. By doing this, the eagle feather is recharged with sacred energy. Never abuse, never disrespect, and never contaminate your eagle feather. Only real human men and women carry the eagle feather. The Mohawk man will have three eagle feathers standing straight up on his gastoa. This is what I know about the sacred either feather. Thank
0: you. And the, uh, the the clan mothers often give eagle feathers, don't they, for good deeds? Yeah.
1: Uh, sometimes you don't even need, like my mom has hers and she's, um, she got that like on her own and did her own ceremony for it. And now she's, she's starting to pass her things down to me. Like she has her full um, traditional leather outfit. And she's passed that down to me now, so I have to put it through in my own ceremony things when they pass down like that. <laughs> so it's really cool to get my mom's old things. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's so beautiful. Wow. Well, let me um, let me just remind our audience that this is the Why on Earth Community's Stewardship and Sustainability Podcast series, and I am visiting today with Dehunji Osta. Uh, Meadow Cook at the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project in Central New York. And uh, let me give a quick thanks to our partners and sponsors who help make all of this possible. Our uh, podcast series as well as our community mobilization work for climate action, soil regeneration, and culture of kindness. And uh, they include Patagonia, Beauty Counter, Earth Coast Productions, Wele Waters, Purium and the Lidge Family Foundation. And uh, with Beauty Counter and uh, Waylay Waters and Purium, if you would like to, you can make purchases uh, through links on the Why on Earth site uh, that will help uh, support the Why on Earth community with some of the proceeds from those purchases coming back to the Why on Earth community. And uh, also on the Why on Earth site, whyonearth.org. You'll see a page uh, for donating, for joining our monthly membership program. And uh, you can sign up at any level that works for you. And when you do, I'll send you an email to give you a very special code so that you can download free copies of all of our ebook and audiobook resources. So, uh, a huge thanks and shout out to everybody who have joined our monthly membership program. Thank you for your ongoing support. And if you haven't yet and you'd like to, you can do that over at whyunearth.org. And, of course, we've been talking about Three Sisters Sovereignty Project. You can uh, check all of that out at support at threesistersproject.org. And uh, you can find Meadow on Instagram, Meadow Cook. And she's very active. I'm so (laughs) impressed by her social media uh, production, content generation. And then um, you're also on the uh, Indigenous... Advisory Council, what is it for, for Earth Uprising?
1: Oh, I'm I'm the so right now I'm the only indigenous representative for Earth Uprising.
0: Wow, okay. I didn't realize you're the only. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's so
1: incredible. I'm working on recruiting people from all of the nations in New York and really helping to get our voices heard. So I'm really glad to be um, working with these people and educating them on things they didn't even know like um, a lot of them, I'll, they'll bring up things and I'll have to correct them mm. because they're so used to the colonialized and whitewashed um, teachings from the schools that they're in. And it's really helped them and me. And now they're getting a lot more educated on these topics.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> so beautiful. Really and and so Earth Uprising, <coughs> people can go to earthuprising.org. So what are you guys working on at Earth Uprising, like, what what's their role in, in all that's happening right now in the world?
1: So, they organize a lot of the youth climate strikes, yeah. and they've hosted events, and um, we do strike every Friday, like, most the majority of members with that organization. So, we're also, um, they work closely with Fridays for Future, and... Basically, all of the climate events in the U.S., but they have a global reach. They Mm -hmm. have, um, we have members from a lot of countries, and I think every continent. So, it's really a unique um, climate organization. And they're, I think, as far as I know, they're the only ones that have an indigenous representative, especially from New York.
0: That's really wonderful. I'm so excited to hear about this, and it's amazing the way that you're also helping to network with others in the uh, the tribal nations to get involved and for this knowledge sharing to really start to happen across those different kind of cultural boundaries.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Is it fun? Yeah. Are you having it's fun? It's really cool. Um,
1: yeah. I've met so many people just this far, and I've only been with them about a month. Uh-huh. And it's really like nice to um even at their events people and i've never seen that before in any of the organizations i've worked with so it's really cool to meet other people like me and even like their different cultures because they're so different even though we're so close and it's really cool to be learning that much about the the cultures that i didn't know about
0: Mm. oh i love that and were you were you at the big climate march down in New York?
1: Yeah, so I was um right in the middle smack dab in the middle of the
0: yeah.
1: um the banner and there's a lot of pictures. <laughs> um but I wore my full regalia and I had my ribbon uh top on and my mom's actually um leather skirt. Uh-huh. And I, I walked through the subway and all of New York City with my full outfit on, uh-huh. and everyone was, like, amazed because they've never seen that, seen a real, like, so many people came up to me, like, I've never seen a real Native American before, wow. and it's it was a really crazy experience. Oh, I
0: bet. <laughs> but how did that feel for you?
1: It was really, like, I never, it was the first time I felt hopeful about the climate um, situation, and... It was really cool. <laughs> like even though there was older men from other nations that came and they were tell they were complimenting my outfit, and I I, I was I, I was so starstruck even though I didn't even know them, <laughs> and they and um my sign said the future is indigenous and um it was really cool to get that message out. <laughs>
0: <So> that's really <laughs> wonderful. Oh, that's oh, so amazing. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> Well, I'm wondering um, before we kind of wrap up for for today's conversation, and I hope <laughs> we'll do some more, you know, down the road, especially as the the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project is unfolding and uh, evolving and developing. That would be really fun to be able to, you know, check in and share with folks along the way. But uh, for today, um, before we sign off and. Uh, have any you know final words? I want to ask a little about you. Mentioned the uh, bear clan mother around lacrosse, and and you said <coughs> that you are bear clan. And will you will you share with our audience what that means and uh, how that relates to the work you're doing?
1: Yeah. So um, the bear clan has been the the clan that works with the medicines and handles the medicines, and we've been trusted with that by the creators since the beginning of the clan system basically and it's really my mom has really taught me a lot through her work with medicines and even just learning the medicines in nature and how much you can find basically and finding the natural solutions Um, I I have a lot of like chronic pain and finding the natural solutions that my people used to use is really cool to do and it actually works and it's not we're not stuck with the opioids and the um, all these pills and <laughs> all the medicine that I was previously on and it's really helped to resolve the pain and it's really cool to be learning more and more every day
0: mm. especially
1: with the women in our community teaching me and all the other young people. <laughs>
0: Absolutely beautiful. I love to hear that. It's so wonderful. We talk here too about how the waterfall herself is medicinal. There's a great yeah. waterfall here.
1: Huh? <laughs> yeah. So I've actually swam in the waterfall. The first, as soon as we got here, I knew I was gonna. I um I went right in the waterfall, and it's really cleansing, and it it feels really sacred to be in that water and to be in a place where you can drink the water because it's so the water at home is like dirt brown it's it's so like polluted and the kids can't even swim or they shouldn't be allowed to swim mm. a lot of them do and it's really um it's really affecting them young mm. now so to bring even like my cousins or my relatives and all my relations back here and they can see it and feel it and drink the water for once, and they're they're so thrilled about that.
0: Hmm. What a gift! What a gift to be able to share that. Well, I guess uh, before we before we sign off, Meadow, is is there anything else you'd like to to share or to say?
1: Um. So I I was just talking about the waterfall. So that's actually we have stories about that in our own culture and we have our own um, special names for all of these waterfalls in this area and it's really cool to like you'll see a lot of um, the native (laughs) natives in the signs and everything and they recognize that we were here and it's really nice to be in this um, place where These non-indigenous people are so supportive for the for one of the first times that I've experienced and it's really nice to be able to feel that sense of trust and to feel that they're helping us towards our goals and we're not um so they're not so discriminative Mm. against us Mm. so it's really nice to work with them and even the youth they're so kind and that's something I've never experienced at home so it's it's a really great experience to be away from the reservation.
0: Mm. Wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Meadow, for visiting with us. And it's uh, such a thank joy you. to be able to share a bit about you and your story, your leadership, your courage um, uh, with with our audience. So thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.
2: The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code YONEarth, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.